This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide. It's April 19th. 1934, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. I stopped believing in Santa Claus when I was six. Mother took me to see him in a department store and he asked for my autograph. Those are the Hmm. words of child star Shirley Temple, then an adult, on her almost unfathomable level of fame, which began abruptly on this day with the premiere of her first hit film, Stand Up and Cheer. Yeah, the one and only review on Rotten Tomatoes carries a pretty damning one-liner for stand-up and cheer. It's from Dennis Schwartz of Dennis Schwartz Movie Reviews. He simply says, there's not much here to stand up and cheer for. (laughs) Well, in 90 years' time, I think it's fair to say no one's going to be making a podcast episode about Dennis Schwartz's movie reviews. (laughs) But Shirley Temple's career was absolutely extraordinary. I mean, she was a grizzled veteran by this point, by her debut. She was six years old, although in true Hollywood style, her publicist would have told you she was five uh, and in fact Temple herself believed that to be the case because um, she only found out that her mother had been lying to her about her age when she turned I think it was 12 so throughout her childhood they told her she was a year younger than she was that she'd get the cute parts but she'd already been in a whole bunch of shorts and in fact if you missed stand up and cheer at the cinema then no matter because you could still catch Shirley starring in Bright Eyes Now and Forever Baby Take a Bow When New York Sleeps Little Miss Marker and Change of Heart. That's not her filmography. That's her filmography for 1934. I mean, they worked this child to the bone. Yeah, she'd been working since she was three. Her mum, who I think on the scale of, you know, mothers of child actors, she was probably not at the most evil end. She was definitely very driven and ambitious and not above lying to Shirley about her age. But she wasn't totally evil. They did later send her to school and everything, you know, she wasn't a complete freak stage mum. So age three she was enrolled in the famous Meglin studio for aspiring child performers and she'd been spotted there by a producer who'd cast her in a series of short comic films starring a cast of preschool aged children. They were called Baby Burlesques. The title of that film series is sometimes used as part of the case that a lot of her films had a kind of unwholesome, overtly sexualised undertone and that's not the case because the burlesque refers not to the sultry style of dancing but to the idea of burlesque as being a parody have you seen them they they are have you seen the problem is their parodies of adult films and one of them does include her being a kind of may west torch singer torch singer ollie you can't (laughs) afford me she says to two men i mean played by three-year-old boys but I watched them on YouTube and I was like mouth agog. I mean, it wasn't because of the title. I mean, I agree that Baby Burlesques hasn't aged well. But yeah, so they were like satires of grown-up films, like westerns, but replete with alcohol and sex workers, and Shirley would be playing a stripper or a prostitute, but with a big comedy nappy on. It was one of those things that I didn't want my browser history to be sullied by. (laughs) I was like, do I really want to research this one? (laughs) The joke is obviously supposed to be the incongruity of the subject matter and the actors, but there is something that obviously now we recognise as being grotesquely unwholesome. They are facialised with milk in the one I saw. (laughs) Well, I mean, 
it's easy to think at the time people didn't see things like that, blah, blah, blah. It was a more innocent time, but people did. Graham Greene, the author who also worked as a journalist, he was actually sued for libel in 1937 by the film studio and Shirley Temple's family for a film review in which he wrote that Temple displayed, quote, a dubious coquetry which appealed to middle-aged men and clergymen. And he, mm. he lost that case. He had to pay out thousands of dollars. I think the majority, the vast majority of the mainstream cinematic audience who were presented with this amusing short before going to see the family movie they paid to see did just think, oh, what cute kids and isn't it funny that they're doing grown-up things? But, you know, there's absolutely no way in hell that these things would ever be made now. Well, in Stand Up and Cheer, at least, I don't know how far she's come in terms of her acting ability from the clip that I was able to find on YouTube. But her tap dancing is top notch. That is one thing that is brilliant. The reason that that scene is the one that you'll find on YouTube, etc., is because it was the only scene that she was actually the star of. So she was paid $150 a week, but only given two weeks work, which meant that she didn't have time to learn a routine. So she ended up doing her audition routine, which was a number she'd learned at this Megalyn's performing studio. And she taught it to James Dunn, who was the actor who was playing her on-screen father. And the scene in which the pair of them performed this number, Baby Take a Bow, was identified by most of the critics as being the standout moment in what was otherwise a pretty unremarkable film. It's actually, it's got an incredibly tasteless premise that the depression is actually being caused by a lack of optimism. So the president creates a department for amusement, which is obviously the setup <laughs> for a bunch of song and dance numbers. Even at the time, people immediately noticed that she had this star-making material. She was what was holding this film together. And so in the classic style of 1934, they rushed out a sequel that was called Baby Take a Bow after her big number. And it came out two (laughs) months later. And this was the first of numerous films she made with James Dunn in which they had a dance scene together and he usually played her father or he played the man that would step in to look after her when her father died. I mean, the plot of all these films is pretty similar and equally as tasteless as this first one. The one that really knocked me for six was there's one which is about... Her father takes her to the bookies as collateral. And then when the horse loses the race, he kills himself. And Shirley Temple ends up being looked after by James Dunn. I guess the 30s was a different time. And she did cheer people up from the Depression. The famous quote was President Roosevelt, wasn't it? It is a splendid thing that for just 15 cents, an American can go to a movie and look at the smiling face of a baby and forget his troubles. Yeah, and the success of her first few pictures particularly as it was being propelled by her sort of growing star power, meant that she moved from $150 per week, as you said, Rebecca, to a whopping $1,000 per week as her salary. So really, there was this immediate recognition that she was going to be the thing that was going to drive bums to seats and accordingly make Fox Studios a load of money. Incidentally, Temple's mother was earning 250 a week as her official hairstylist, so that was a nice little extra. <laughs> yeah, at the height of her powers, 20th Century Fox actually had a 19-strong team of writers whose task was simply to develop material for Shirley Temple. <laughs> so dad's dead and she's got to dance, okay? Somehow let's get these together, people. <laughs> well, this is it. The burden on Shirley Temple, when you think about that burden at the age of five... Her whole family were financially dependent on her. As she grew up, it did become apparent that, you know, she was a perfectly capable actress, but she didn't have that same star power. I mean, she negotiated the transition pretty well. She actually retired for several years because by the time she got to the age of 12, she was a bit of a crossroads. You know, she'd done Heidi, she'd done Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm, she'd done A Little Princess, you know, where did she go next? And she had a couple of flops and then she retired for a couple of years. 
and came back and gave pretty credible performances in projects that were kind of suitable for her age. She was in a film called The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer, where she plays a teenager who has an infatuation with Cary Grant's character. She soon realised she'd never be able to achieve that real adult stardom. And it didn't help that she just got divorced at the age of 21. Yeah, it must be pretty hard to go from Oscar winner age six divorced age 21 to know what to do with your life well let's talk about what she did do because it is absolutely incredible isn't it that she had this second career and in fact I've seen a biographer describing her life as neatly fitting into three discrete 19 year segments so she had 19 years as a movie star 19 years in the middle raising her three children and then extraordinarily 19 years in diplomacy and politics becoming first the US ambassador to Ghana. That's right, because she actually, in 1967, she'd sought out the Republican nomination for California's 11th congressional district. And that was at a time when many young people were protesting the war in Vietnam, but Temple ran on a platform that actually said the US should send more soldiers to Southeast Asia. Yeah, so she was unsuccessful in that race, but it got her into the sort of parties where Henry Kissinger could overhear her talking about South African politics. And he was extremely impressed straight away that this person who he obviously knew as a curly-haired moppet on the silver screen knew so much about international affairs. And so she ended up being appointed as a US delegate to the 1969 UN National Assembly. You know, and obviously that could easily have been a one-off gimmick. But in actuality, she proved to have a really natural knack for diplomacy. And of course, the fact that her films had been seen around the world and, you know, touched millions of people probably helped. You know, the thing she always had is people liked her when she was in a room. I think she was mature enough to realise I'm not a good enough actor, but I am good at making people sit up and listen to what I have to say. It's astonishing, though, that you know, someone who had that early kind of success then held the following positions. Chief of Protocol for the State Department, Special Assistant to the Chairman of the President's Council on Environment, Ambassador to both Ghana and also Czechoslovakia. So she had this amazing political career in spite of not being elected, even after she'd, you know, won that Oscar age six. And was the first woman to fill some of those positions as well. In the end, Shirley Temple passed away in 2014 at the age of 85 from obstructive pulmonary disease. And it seemed like a natural uh, death, but actually it sort of hid one of her darkest secrets, which was that it was likely the result of her lifelong smoking habit. And she had smoked since childhood and was, but was just very, very careful not to do it in public for fear of hurting her image. Was she not used in a cigarette commercial at the age of six? <laughs> Seems like the kind of thing that happened. Child stars, smoke good binds. Tomorrow. He went there speaking absolutely no Arabic, planning to pose as a Muslim. And eight months later, he was like, yep, ready Love to go. the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.